one simple spot. I'm going to preach from one place today, so there won't be a lot of flipping around and trying to find where I'm at. We're going to be going to Psalm chapter 62, Psalm 62, and uh, if you open your Bible, generally the book of Psalms is somewhat in the middle, um, and it's really easy to find because there are so many of them. And uh, so if you just flip through and find it, it will be on the screen uh, for, for you. Uh, but I'm going to be preaching from Psalm 62, and I want to preach about this today. I want to preach about confidence in whom we place it, in whom we place it. Let me start by asking this question, uh, what are some of the things, and I'm talking about your life, and I'm, I'm looking for answers, so don't feel like, oh, I'm going to be disturbing this sermon if, if, if I say something. I'm asking you to call out some examples. What are some of the things that prove to be beneficial to our lives? Job, yeah, it helps to have a job. It's always helpful to have a job. It ensures, at least in some way, you're going to get a paycheck, right? Uh, what are some other things that help? I heard something. Water. Water helps. You've got to have water. Uh, water is a survival thing. You must have water. Uh, I guess we could throw in with that air, too, right? You better have some air. Uh, transportation, very, very helpful. If anybody who's ever had to walk, food, <laughs> absolutely. Food, transportation, air, water, job, friendship. We're built on relationships, as we all know uh, and experienced last year. Terrible year of isolation, right, for many of us. Um, we know there are things that help us in life, but let's, let's look at it from another vantage point. What could you do without? What are some things you have that you could do without? What could you truly make it without? Say it out loud. Anxiety? You do without anxiety? That'd be a good one to go without. Starbucks? Yeah. I mean, it's not necessarily an essential, right? You do without Starbucks. Maybe there are some things in your life that you, maybe you see and you say, man, I need that. But whenever you really really think about it it's not something you need i remember when the first iphone was introduced i saw that touching a screen with your finger in your pocket and i was on like one of those blackberry devices with all the little buttons and i hated i hated text messaging before the iphone came along prior to that people would text me and i'd call them because I did not want to be texting. There are some things that we could, we could really live without. We may think that we need them, but we could truly make it without them. Most of us are probably familiar with the life of David, King David. What are some things and some people who proved helpful or beneficial to David that you read about in Scripture? Just some people that were helpful to him, some things that you recall from David's life. Go ahead. Jonathan. Jonathan was a friend. Jonathan was helpful to David. 
David would not have escaped Saul if not for Jonathan. That's good. Samuel, he needed Samuel. Samuel anointed him. Samuel called him to be king. I mean, God called him to be king, but Samuel was a vessel, right? Say it loud. I can't hear. I'm sorry. Mikhail, his wife, yeah. Some other things. Give us one more example. Stone, maybe a sling, maybe Goliath's sword, his mighty men of valor. There are a lot of things that we can think of from David's life that were beneficial. They proved over the long term to be beneficial. But there is a type of self-confidence. I'm going to preach about this this morning. There's a type of self-confidence and self-esteem that is healthy and good. But there's an excessive self-confidence that is harmful to one's spiritual growth. Harmful self-confidence is usually characterized by an absence of prayer. We're so busy instituting our plans, following our instincts, taking action. We're people of action. Amen. We're so confident that it's all going to work out as we've planned that we never bother to look up to the Lord in prayer. Or we only look to the Lord in prayer when we've put ourselves in a position where we have to pray. It's not that we're going against God. It's not that we're opposing God against God. It's just that we don't have a sense that we really need him, that we really have to depend on him. We think we can handle things without bothering the Lord. And I, it's interesting as a pastor, I'm just going to talk to you as a pastor. Um, it's interesting sometimes as a pastor when I hear about people that are going through things and I'll say, well, why didn't you talk to me about that? And they'll say, well, I just didn't want to bother you, pastor. I'm not bothering you. I'll let you know where the line's at if you start bothering me. But there's a reason God gave us this relationship between himself, his word, the church, the pastor, and the people. We bear one another's burdens. There's a reason that scripture says that. But we can approach God sometimes thinking, well, I don't want to bother the Lord with this. John 15 and 5, Jesus said this, it's a very key scripture to this church, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, I in, him, I in him, bears much fruit. Pay attention to this last part. For without me, you can do nothing. Without me, nothing. Without me, no fruit. Without me, it's not successful. Without me, it's nothing. Without me, it's vanity. It's empty. Without me, nothing. A person with excessive self-confidence doesn't really believe that last phrase. And here's the thing. We all have fallen into that trap at some point. We think we don't really need to approach him with this part of our life. And so we leave it untouched. We leave it where we don't seek him in that part of our life. David had some key people and he had some selected things that played great roles in his life. We mentioned some of those, Samuel, 
uh, Nathan, we mentioned Michael, we mentioned Jonathan, we mentioned uh, a lot of the other things that benefited his life. And keep in mind that David was anointed as a king. I mean, he had all of the authority in the kingdom. He could do literally what he wanted to do. Hence the reason he got away with so much sin in his life at one point whenever he committed adultery and had a man put on the front line. Why? He was king. He's anointed as king. Later in scripture, he would be called a man after God's own heart. But David in Psalm 22 clearly communicates something that he learned, something that must be rediscovered by us, something that we need to hang on to and understand. And it's a great lesson for the moment. It's a great lesson for the last few years, and it's a great lesson for the years that are to come. Psalm 62, 1 through 4 says this, Truly my soul waits for God. From Him comes my salvation. The Hebrew word there, it means only to God is my soul silence. God's presence was enough to awe David's heart into quietness, into submission, and into rest. So he said, he only, truly, my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Moved, but he's also saying, be not removed. I shall not be removed. What was happening here in Scripture was that there were some enemies that were attempting to remove David from the throne. And so David was saying, he only is my rock and my salvation. He's my defense. I can't trust in anything else. I shall not be greatly moved. I'm not going to be taken from my place that he's put me in. Verse 3, how long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only result to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. They lie. This psalm can be called the only psalm because the Hebrew word for only appears six times. It's translated first in verse 1 as truly. It's then translated multiple times as only. And then it's translated as surely. And then it is translated as alone, God alone. And throughout the psalm, he uses this same word over and over, translated for us in various ways. But in the Hebrew, it is ach, and it's just translated this one way over and over, only, only, only. Think about that for a minute. What does the word only mean to you? Can I say that word only and mean it? Only the Lord. Only God. The Lord only is my salvation, is my rock, is my defense. What about other good things? What about position? What about prestige? What about prosperity? We have a problem in trusting in that in this country. What about friends? What about social position? What about all the things that we feel like we need? 
Could I do without them and trust only in God for survival? Could I be like David and say, only God is going to be my defense? I'm under attack. The enemy's coming in. But only God is going to put up the wall. Only God is going to protect me. Only God will keep me sure-footed and keep me from moving. I do without all of the other things I lean on and trust only in God for survival. We don't like being told that something is our only choice. We want options. We like options. Remember one time Shelly and I, we ran out of some options and we were supposed to eat lunch said what do we have she said peanut butter and bread and I want you to understand probably six days out of the week I can go to the cabinet grab some peanut butter and some bread and eat it and be happy but on that day that was the worst choice there were no options why because we want options we like options Ford Motor Company started to see declining sales when competitors started to offer their automobiles in other colors. Henry Ford's perspective was that offering different colors would slow down the production of his Model A. And so he said of the Model A, they can have it in any color they want as long as it's black. Now we all know that they offer vehicle colors other than black now because we like options. We like choices. But for David, he was saying there are no other choices. I'm not calling on my mighty men of valor. I'm not going to find Goliath's sword. I'm not getting the stones out of the brook again. I'm not going back to a slingshot. There are no other choices. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. Let's be clear on what David was communicating. He was saying, without him, I have no rock. I don't have stability if I don't have him. I don't have foundation if I don't have him. Without him, I have no salvation. Without him, I am unsaved. Without him, there is no healing. Without him, there is no deliverance. Without him, there is no being made whole. Without him, there is no defense. There is no protection. Without him, him alone. Lord Ogilvy said that he was backpacking in northern Canada when he became lost and he went in circles for hours trying to find the logging road and the way back to where his friends were camped. In his search he came to a narrow path that was overgrown with brush, almost hidden. He followed that path until he came to a fork in the path. And staked out on one of those two paths was a rough sign that was put there by a trapper, a well-known trapper in that territory. And he'd written on it these instructions in bold, bold letters. This is the only way out. No options. Take this route if you want to get out of here. Let me put up a sign pointing to Jesus for you today. This is the only way out. Jesus is the only way out. He's the only way out of pain. 
He's the only way out of heartache. He is the only way out of suffering. He's the only way out of distress. He's the only way out of the bondage of sin. He is the only way out of the issues that are hitting your home. He is the only way out. It is to this place of He only that God desires to bring every one of us where we're not looking at anything else. We're not looking for the other options, but we're looking to Him alone. Thing is, in order to get to that place, you have to have exhausted yourself chasing after things that have not satisfied. I'm talking to some people today that you have exhausted every other option. I reached a point in my life where I had exhausted every other option. I've tried everything else in this world that I thought could and would satisfy. It did not. It just left me empty. Because at some point, a person has to stop depending on the arm of the flesh. They have to stop depending on their own strength, their own ability, their own talents. They have to stop turning to other options and make Jesus the only option. Let me ask you this way. Is Jesus a resource for you or is Jesus the source for you? Because they're very different things. A resource is sought out and expended. Oil is a resource. Pump it out of the ground. We put it into our vehicles or plastic or any other number of things that particular things are made out of but it gets consumed. And I'll tell you the problem in a lot of our culture right now is the consumer mentality, and we bring that consumer mentality to God that he is just a resource that at any moment we can reach out and touch God and say, okay, God, now I need you. And he should never be the resource. He should be the source. Notice what David communicates after that first Selah. It starts in verse 5. My soul waits silently for God alone. He's saying again, reiterating what he had said in the first Selah. For my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. He says, I will wait. That word wait means to be done. To be done. Look at the person next to you and say, you need to be a little more dumb sometimes. Not too many people repeating that. They're not going to punch you. I won't let them. He's saying, I'm choosing to be dumb. I'm choosing to wait, to be silent, to be inactive, to not figure it out myself, to not take action for myself. Sometimes our impatience with God's process causes us to get into a do-something mode. We'll do something even if it's wrong. And that's baked into our culture. 
because we are doers. We are people who take action. Sometimes you need to tell yourself, I'm going to wait on God, only God. What I expect to happen has to come from him. This is a king who is getting ready to have an enemy try and dethrone him, and he could have written a lot of things. He could have said, I'm going to get my military. I'm going to get all of the people that are loyal to me, and I'm going to put them between the enemy and me. He didn't say that. He said, I'm not turning to anything else. I'm going to wait on God. God got me here. God will get me through this. I'm going to wait on God and only God. What I expect to happen must come from Him. See, the the call to faithfulness, faithfulness to God, is only to create a climate of prayer, of praise, of worship, and allow God opportunities. And still, if it doesn't happen, you don't try to fix it. You don't force it. You wait on the Lord. There is no plan B. It's God's will and God's way, and that is the only plan, and that will be done at any cost. Whatever it costs me, His will needs to be done. I have to be patient. I I can't just take action. I have to trust in the Lord that He is working everything out for my good, and that takes faith. That takes a lot of faith to trust God in the middle of this. Apply this principle to your prayer life. Michael Green says it well, it is through prayer that God is free to reach and use us. If we do things for God without praying, he he cannot afford the risk of allowing us to succeed. I'll say that again. If we do things for God without praying, he cannot afford the risk of allowing us to succeed. For we would get proud and would be hardened in our conviction that activism, Taking action, not dependence on God, is the way for Christians to serve the Lord. We're called to wait on the Lord. And when we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. And you can work, and here's the thing, this is what I've learned. I'm going I'm to sum up everything that I've learned in my relationship with God for you. As long as I'll work on the problem, God will let me. Because I could do it myself. Both of our children, whenever they were in their two to five, Elsie's still there technically. But both of them would say, I'll do it myself. I mean just snappy like that too. And I've wondered how many times I will tell God, God, this is what I'm facing. And then I go to work, and I'm telling him I'm doing it myself. And so God, as he's about to reach over and take a hand on it, steps back. What you do? My son and I, we've been building a computer together. It's a fun little endeavor between he and I. And there's been a few times where he's in there and he's working. And, I mean, these parts are not cheap. If you've ever built a computer especially the one we're trying to build, it is not like you don't just like break something and go pick up another one and just, you know, don't worry about it. 
there's been a few times he's in there and he's working. He's like, I can't get this. I can't, you know, he's getting frustrated. I'll say, okay, step back, step back, step back, step back, step back. <laughs> get your hands out of the way. But he's, he's got some things done on his own. And then there were times where he stepped back and he said, all right, you help me. And I took the course of just letting him work on it because I wanted him to learn. God does the same with us. He will let us work and work and work. When we work, we're working. But if we'll pray and wait, God will move. Just ask his disciples. Just ask his disciples. Jesus had followers leaving him left and right. This all happens in the book of John, chapter 6. He has followers that are not happy with him, and they're leaving. And so he looks at them, and he says, Will you leave me also? But Simon Peter answers him, verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter was saying, we, we don't have anywhere else to go. You're the answer. You're the one we've been waiting on. You're the one we've been looking for. You are the only option. To whom would we go? Happy is the person who feels that all they have all they want and all they expect are to be found in God. God is everything. Philippians 4 and 11 through 13 says it like this. Paul writing, he said, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's not saying, we quote that oftentimes saying, man, I'm going to charge over this mountain and jump this high obstacle in my life. That's not what he was saying. What he was saying is, I know what it's like to be uh, abased, abused, beaten up, uh, to rendered incapable. I know what it is to be on top of the mountain, to abound, to be fruitful, to be very, very blessed. I know what it is to be full, and I know what it is to be hungry. I know how it is to suffer and to abound. I know all of those things, and all of those things I can do through Christ who strengthens me. Changes the context of that scripture a little bit, doesn't it? It's not that I'm so powerful and spiritual that I can do anything. It's I'm going to suffer. God's going to get me through it. When it's great, I'm going to rejoice that it's great. God's going to strengthen me through that. You know what he does to strengthen you? He humbles you. That's what he does. He goes on, David goes on in Psalm 62, 9 through 12. Surely men of low degree or of vapor, men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his work. See, there's a relationship between God's power and saying, he only is my rock. He only is my salvation. He only is my defense. I will wait on him. It's not in your own power. It's not in your own 
devices. It's not in the things that you've trusted in the past. It's not in the thing that got you through last time. There's something different that maybe God is going to use this time. It's not the same every time. It's trusting God, that God has the power, and if you wait on Him, His power will step in. A person who trusts in God only, they end up having Him and having everything else. Those who trust in Him and trust in anything else, they end up with Him, without Him, and with nothing else. That's what happens. And see, the world would convince us that only means optionally. Optionally. It would be optimal if God not God only. The flesh will convince you that only really means originally. Originally God would do it. That's a lie. The devil will convince you that only really means optionally. None are true. Only God is not optimal. It's not original. It's not optional only means there is no other option. There is not another option in my life. And when life, when you face obstacles in life, it is good to look at alternatives. I'm not telling you if you're sick, don't go to the doctor, stay home and pray that you get your healing. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that you need to look at your life and look at the obstacle that's in front of you and trust God that he'll see you through. He may use a doctor to do it. He may use your counselor to do it. He may use medicine to do it. He may use many things, but God is the source of all of those things. And when you find a door is closed, you just don't pursue the goal any further. You wait on God. And when God allows an obstacle to get in your way, maybe he's bringing something to your attention that you've been overlooking in your life. You let God have his way. You trust him. Maybe your faith needs to be tested, and that's why you're facing that obstacle. Maybe the obstacle might increase your dedication and commitment. Might increase your prayers. Might increase the time you spend with the Lord. Might be that it's reminding you of your limitations. God, I don't know what to do with this. God says, I do. God says, I can do it. God says, I can take you through it. God says, I can trust you through it. Because there is no other way to God. The principle all throughout Scripture, I'm getting ready to end. Acts 4 and 12. So there's salvation, no, not, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other option. John 6, 68, Peter telling the Lord, he said, Lord, who shall we go? We don't have another option. We're going to be right here. Remember an old song. Old song. We've never even sang it in this church. It says, where could I go? Where could I go? Seeking a refuge for my soul, needing a friend to help me in the way.
someone today that you have exhausted every other option, every other resource, every other thing. that are scheming to take David out to move him from the throne. David points toward God and he says, God alone, he only is my rock, my salvation, my Would, would agree. I found those points in my life. There's a few of us that are honest. The rest of us are lying. Good. You're going to have your opportunity to repent here in a minute. You can raise your
preach today to someone as they pray to hear from you, God, in the middle of their trial, their struggle.